direct your attention to Matthew 2, verses 13 through 15. The baby has been born. The wise men, the magi from the east, have left, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod because Herod intended to do harm to the baby. And now we see where God continues to intervene to ensure that his plan will indeed reach his accomplished end. Look at verse 13. Now when they, that's the Magi, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we bow before you acknowledging that you are the sovereign God of all creation. And that there is nothing in existence that you have not brought into existence. Lord, we bow before you recognizing you as the gracious God who sent Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, born in a lowly estate, having left the glories of heaven, that he might live, die, and rise again on our behalf. We bow before you to worship you for your grace and your mercy. We ask, Lord, for your spirit to lead us. We come before you hungry this morning. Hungry to know you. And We ask you, Lord, that by your grace you would feed us upon your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus our Lord, our Savior, and our soon-coming King. In His name, the church said, Amen. Well, Christmas Day is almost here. And certainly in the weeks that have been building up to this, we've been reminded that Christmas time, above all other times of the year, is a time of joy and peace. A time of being merry and making bright. A time of being tired and stressed, of hurried and hassled. Can I get a witness? You see, the pursuit of the perfect Christmas will flat out wear you out. The search for the perfect gift, because we can't just get anything for that person who has it all. We have to find the perfect gift that they absolutely need, that will change their life. That this will be the Christmas where they say, my life had been plain white until you brought that gift. we got to find it. It's out there somewhere. And then we have felt that pressure of having the perfect tree, the perfect decor the perfect decorations and all of that adds up to a stocking full of stress commercials prey upon that desire they make their money on that desire for perfection want the perfect house this season then go to the home shopping network and buy the decorama and you'll have the perfect house for 99.99 
Want the perfect Christmas gift? No problem. Amazon would only deliver to your house to deliver it in your house. Want the perfect Christmas? Just watch the Hallmark Channel and believe. Do you know the pursuit of the perfect Christmas ends up like a gift that was popular in the year 2001. This gift kind of shook things up a little bit. It was called the Invisible Gym Action Figure. For $2.50, you could have the perfect toy that any child would want. It was the action figure that couldn't be broken, didn't need batteries, and would never be lost. The Invisible Gym came in an attractive blue packaging promising all the joys you could imagine. And that was the amazing thing because there was nothing in the package. Invisible Jim was truly invisible. You paid $2.50 for a box of nothing. And it sold like hotcakes. See, that's what happens with our pursuit. The Christmas that we have sought, we believe can be bought, but ends up coming to naught. I had to work extra hard on that one. See, we want perfection. We want the ideal. We want the appearance and the applause that comes with it. And you know why we long for perfection? Because we want approval. We believe deep down that if we have everything perfect, every I dotted, every T crossed, every tree looking perfect and trimmed to the ideal, people will approve. They'll say, way to go. They'll look at our house and be envious and they'll see our perfect families and they'll think that's the way things ought to be. Deep down we believe that if we are good enough and perfect enough, we'll find the love that we long for and the approval that we believe that we need. Others pursue perfection because they realize that things ought to be a certain way. Life ought to be stress-free. Life ought to be full of love. Life ought to be fulfilling. And so somewhere along the way, we believe that if we are perfect enough, we can bridge that gap. That if we have everything perfect and if we live perfectly how we are supposed to live, then we'll bridge that gap between the way things are and the way things ought to be. Only it never works that way, does it? And we get worn down from trying. Today I have good news. I have great good news. God has provided the gift of perfection. And the perfection that God gives comes in the most imperfect of conditions. This text reminds us of that. It teaches us that. As the Magi have just left, we are reminded that things are not perfect in the world. That just because Jesus has been born, everything is not automatically set right. Because Herod, no relation, desires to kill this child that he sees as a threat. So God intervenes supernaturally. He sends the, the wise men back another way. And now to Joseph, he appears in a dream saying, You need to take Mary and the baby and go into Egypt. Keep the child safe. You see, even at birth, Jesus is not safe. This world is not perfect. Tyrants still oppress. 
Mothers and fathers can't rest, and the powerless are still the pawns of the powerful. But in the darkness, in the darkness of all these imperfections, a perfect light shines. Everything that happens in these verses, verses 13, 14, and 15, we are told at the very end of this paragraph happened to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. It's the prophet Hosea. And it's something that Hosea said in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, that out of Egypt I called my son. So he says this was to fulfill. But here's the curious thing. Hosea 11, 1 is not a prophecy. Hosea 11.1 is where the prophet is looking backwards at history. And he's saying that when, when Israel was in Egypt, God called them out. He called out his son. So Hosea is looking back at Israel's rebellion, how they had rebelled against God, and how God still pursued them with love. And Matthew quotes almost verbatim Hosea 11.1, Out of Egypt I called. My son. Now don't be thrown off by the terminology son. Because Israel was God's people and they are referred to numerous times in the Old Testament as God's son. I'll give you just one example. Up on the screen you'll see Exodus chapter 4 verses 22 through 23. God is telling Moses what to say to Pharaoh. And he says, thus you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Two times in this passage, Israel the nation is referred to as God's son. Now they're referred to in that way for two reasons. They're referred to as God's son because God brought the nation of Israel into existence. It was by his plan and his power they came to be. But they are also called son because as the son of God, they were supposed to show the glory of God. They were supposed to reveal to the world that this is what it looks like when you walk rightly with God. They were supposed to show the glory of God, the majesty of God, the grace of God, the truth of God. However, Israel didn't do so well they didn't show God's character they rebelled against God they didn't show God's glory they chose to sin instead of showing his glory to all the world around them and even though God loved and redeemed them brought them out of Egypt God's son in the Old Testament still rebelled against him but now a change is taking now, the Son of God, the unique, only begotten Son of God has appeared upon the scene. And now Jesus is placed in the role of Israel. He is the fulfillment of Israel's existence. Everything that Israel was supposed to be as God's Son, now the one and only unique Son of God, born in the flesh, will fulfill everything that Israel was supposed to be. And this verse is pointing us toward that truth, that the perfection that we long for, the perfection that we fall so short of attaining, is found in Jesus. Because in Him, we have the perfect gift of love. We find the perfect love that we long for. You see, this verse that is quoted comes from a prophet who preached the faithful, steadfast love of God. And we are reminded throughout the book of Hosea how far God will go in pursuing His people. How far He will go for those whom He loves. 
Because deep down, that's the love that we long for. Years ago, Tammy Terrell and Marvin Gaye sang the song, and if I were a bolder man with a better voice, I would try it. But I'm not going to do that to you. But I have a feeling. I have a feeling most of you know it. Hey, baby. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough. I'm feeling it now. <laughs> baby, if you need me, call me no matter where you are. No matter how far. Just call my name. I'll be there in a hurry. You don't have to worry. Because, baby, there ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you. That song resonates with us. Not because it's well sung or it has a great melody. It resonates with us because deep down, that's the love we hunger for. We want somebody who will love us enough to say, I will climb any mountain, I'll cross any valley, I'll swim any river. We want to know that we don't have to worry because someone, someone will love us enough to always be there in a hurry. But this world is broken, isn't it? And the love we long for never comes to fruition. The promises of a perfect love are soon broken on the ground. The one who said they'll be there in a hurry, well, they won't answer the phone now. That person who said they would climb any mountain, well, they won't help me with the Everest of laundry that's in the other room. The love found in this world is far from perfect. In fact, the love that we find in this world is brief at best. Even the relationships that are good, centered upon God, are temporary. And the tragic truth of this broken world is that even at the best, love will end with the death of the person. And so we are still hungering for a love that's eternal. That will never end. That will never experience the pain of separation. And he's telling us here that Jesus has come to fulfill the perfect love. To remind us that God is pursuing us with a love that is indeed eternal. Because the love that we long for is found in Jesus who came leaving heaven taking the form of a servant. A love that climbed the mountain of Golgotha and died for us and then overcame that death. We are reminded in the words of Hosea that God pursues those he loves with a love that will not end. And the longing that we have for a love is met in Jesus. You see, when it comes to this issue of loving and loving others, there's some fears that enter into that desire. You see, we are afraid that if people really know us, they won't love us. And then on the other hand, we're afraid that if they love us, then we can't really be ourselves around them. Because if they know me, you see, our fear is to either be known and not loved or to be loved and not really known. And the great good news of the gospel is this. God knows you inside and out. And he loves you anyway. The great good news of the gospel is this. There is no sin so great that you could be separated from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And he has come as a manifestation of that love so that the perfect love we hunger for, a love that will pursue us and be steadfast, is found in Jesus Christ. We're also reminded in this passage that the perfect life 
we long for is found in Jesus. Remember, Israel is referred to as God's son. You see that up on the screen. Now that phrase, that title is applied to Jesus. That's because Matthew is making the case that Israel in the Old Testament was simply a a preview, a trailer looking forward to the real Israel of God that is Jesus Christ. And that's why Matthew includes this story of Mary and Joseph and the baby going into Egypt. No other gospel has it. That's because Matthew wants to make the case to his readers that Jesus is God's Israel. If you'll allow me for just a moment to give you an overview of this gospel. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. And he comes through the water. And where does he go? Into the wilderness. In the Old Testament, whenever Israel is called out, where do they go? They come to the Red Sea. They pass through the water. And after Israel has passed through the water, where do they go? Into the wilderness. What Israel did Jesus did. We see then as Matthew moves along that Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew goes to pains to point that out. Where did God reveal his law? On the Mount. As you pass on through Matthew, you'll see that Jesus is up on a mountain and he is transfigured, glowing with his glory. What happened to Moses up on the mountain? He began to glow with the glory of God. However, Jesus is unique because when he is on the mountain radiating the glory, luminescence of God, both Elijah and Moses are there talking with him, paying homage to him. You see, this is where he is showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of what Israel was supposed to be. Now remember, Israel passed through the water and they went into the wilderness. Jesus is baptized, he passes through the water and he goes into the wilderness. When Israel went into the wilderness, how did they do at obeying God? Not very well. When Jesus goes into the wilderness and he is tempted, how does Jesus do? He does extremely well. He never fails. With every temptation, he remains faithful to God. He is what Israel ought to have been. He fulfills the righteousness that Israel should have had. Where Israel failed every test, Jesus passed every test. Where they were disobedient to God, Jesus was obedient to God. So that he lived the righteous life, the perfect life we ultimately desire. Now, people say, well, how can that be? I mean, that's good to say that Jesus lived the perfect life. He fulfilled all of the perfection and the righteousness that God desires. But how's that applied to us? It's applied through faith. Because Jesus becomes the representation, the the fulfillment of Israel. Now, some balk at this idea. One man's righteousness attributed to One or many, how can that be? But that's really not a concept far from us. We are used to the idea of the actions of one being attributed to many. Let me give you an example of this to show it's not that disfamiliar to us after all. Michael Phelps is recognized as the greatest Olympian ever. He has won 28 28 medals, 23 of them gold. He has raced, swam, in in individual races as well as part of relays. Yet, he swims representing America. So that his goals, every race that he wins, is attributed to a win 
for the United States. We don't see separate categories when the Olympics roll around. You don't see, here's the number of medals the United States has won, here's the number of medals China, and here's the number of medals that Michael Phelps has won. His total is attributed to the United States. So that when he wins, people like me, who are on the couch eating a little Debbie with a glass of milk, watching him race and win, jump up and can go, USA, USA. Why? Because he is swimming, representing the United States. So that when he wins, that victory is attributed to the United States. Do you see where I'm going, church? The righteousness of Jesus is attributed to us by faith. Not that we have done anything to deserve it, but that it is given by grace. The perfect life we long for to be right with God is found in Christ. That's why Paul wrote these words in Philippians chapter 3. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now look closely at verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, because we can't attain that. But that, now what is the, that referring to? It's referring to righteousness. But the righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He's referring to the righteous life of Jesus being applied to us by faith in Jesus Christ. Now some argue that that will simply lead to more sin. But that's where I want you to understand the third gift of perfection that Jesus gives us. He not only gives us the perfect love and the perfect life of righteousness. He gives us perfect liberty. Now notice where they, they are told to flee to. Specifically, go to Egypt. Joseph obeys, no questions. Verse 14, he rose, he takes the child and mother by night, and he departs to Egypt. Egypt had, throughout the history of Israel, been a haven for those seeking rescue or asylum. If things were looking bad in Israel, if a nation were about to come and attack, it was common for the people to flee to Egypt and to seek safety and security there rather than trusting God. But going to Egypt never worked out well. Never. We are reminded in this that the things we turn to instead of turning to God will always enslave us. Always. When the people of Israel fled to Egypt seeking safety, it led to slavery. When we turn to anything else other than God, it will ultimately enslave you. If we, rather than seeking the approval of God, live and die by the approval of others, we will feel our hearts rise and fall with every like or every dislike on Facebook. If we live by engaging in gossip and putting others down to make ourselves feel good, that will indeed circle back around to us and the very people we talk to about others will talk to others about us. There's always the temptation to find our Egypt away from God. But notice what happens. Jesus is called out of those things that would destroy us. And in doing so, he gives us liberty. He calls us out of enslavement. He calls us out 
of the bondage of sin. And he says, you can have true liberty. You see, true liberty is this. And this is why applying the righteous life of Jesus to ourselves does not lead to more sin. Because liberty is not doing anything you want to do. That's not liberty. Now, suppose I were to go over to this piano, which I'm going to do. You don't have to suppose it. It's still on. And I were to sit down. And I were to say, I want to have the liberty to play the piano. And you would say, go for it. And I were to start going. Is that pretty? Thank you very much. Uh, you're applauding, but that's not good piano playing. That's just banging out whatever I want to play. But suppose I were to go back, and you may not know this, I took piano for four years when I was in middle school and high school. Don't remember a thing about it, except I remember this, Lionel Richie. I know it's Christmas and not Valentine's Day, but you've got to bear with me. That goes to you, Jody. Now, what made the difference? One, I had the liberty to play the piano, but I was following the chords and the notes and the sheet music. And when I stayed within those boundaries, it created something beautiful. You see, true freedom is not doing whatever you want to do. True freedom is living according to God's design for your life. That's what liberty is. Liberty is being the person God has called me to be. Liberty is for you to be the person God has called you to be. Liberty is living in obedience to Him. It's when we think, I can do whatever I want, when I want, that things fall apart. So you see, God gives us the gift of perfect liberty. Because He gives us perfect love to say, you are accepted and forgiven. You have the perfect life because Jesus has given you the righteousness of God that you are free. And now he gives perfect liberty so that your sin does not define you. But you can be whom God has called you to be by his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, when he says, I called out of Egypt my son, in Jesus we are set free from that Egypt. See, in these three verses, in these three verses... We find the perfection that we long for, that we hunger for, and that we want. And Matthew is showing us that it is found in this baby who is the Messiah. So this morning I ask you, just point blank, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah of God? If you say you believe that, how have you acted upon that? If we say, well, yeah, he's the Messiah and I believe, and then we continue living our lives how we want to live, doing what we want to do, then no, we really don't believe he's the Messiah. But if we say, yes, I believe he is the Messiah of God, and I turn toward him knowing that my, per my desire for perfect love, the perfect life, and the perfect liberty is found in him. That's called repentance. That's the gift that he gives. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me right now. Nathan and I are going to be standing at the front. And this morning I ask you to take very seriously 
very seriously that question, do you believe that he is the Messiah? Because he is not like the Messiah that we expect. You see, Israel expected the Messiah that would come in power, that would come to to eradicate the tyranny of Rome. But Jesus is the Messiah who came in humility to eradicate the power of sin. One day he will come. He will come in power. But until that day, you have the opportunity to turn to him, confessing him as Messiah. Heavenly Father, I thank you that the perfection we long for is found in Jesus. And I pray that you will draw us all into him to glorify his name, to live for him, to know the longings that we have are fulfilled and satisfied in him. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. If you need to respond, please come. through the giving of our tithes and offerings. John Lowe is also serving as our deacon of the week. And so I want to ask John, if he will, to lead us in prayer, please. Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we just start this celebration of your birth. But as Christians, we know that the death and burial and resurrection is the true gift of eternal life that you've given us when we believe and call on your name. We thank you for that gift, Father God, and we thank you for this day, the message that we've heard. We pray that you would help us to, to not only dwell on it, but use it, Father, to, to uh, fulfill your great commission to go among the whole world and preach your name so that others may be saved. We thank you now, Father, and ask you to bless the gift and the giver ask you to take this blessing of uh, offering and build your kingdom and fulfill your great commission, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.